Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk All right. Recorded live. We have, a, we have a response, and I think that's right on. Um, in our text, what makes God righteous is that he takes, he has a standard, and he makes distinctions regarding events and people on the base of that standard. And in verse 5, he says, You are righteous, you who are and on were, O Holy One. Righteous you are. Righteous you've been. Why? Because of what? You judge these things. Now, there's about five or six different words for judge. This one is uh, kino, and it simply means to divide, to make a distinction, to make a distinction, to make a decision. Here it means uh, not determining one's punishment in this word. There are words that mean that and include that. This one simply means to make a division, to make a mental division, to... To, and I may have that in your notes, I may not, I'm not sure, uh, but to make a distinction. And he makes the distinction based on his standard that he has put in place. We've, we've gone and have uh, understood that from the book of Deuteronomy about his standard for Israel and for Judah. And now they are being judged according to that standard, so God is therefore called righteous. That's a great way to understand God, that God makes a difference. He divides people. He's the great divider between those who follow his will and those who reject his will. Those standards that God has make a difference to him. And he's not going to dictate how you think about it nor what you do about it. God could. But then God would be a what? See if you can come up with the right word. God would be, we would all be robots. That's all, just robots. So God does not restrict how we think. He's not going to come in and change your thinking. We've talked about this before. But sometimes we forget. He does not. Re- he, he does not change what we think or how we think. Does not dictate what we do or don't do. Not that God couldn't. But if He did, then we would no longer be free moral agents. We would simply be robots. And there's no glory to God if people do the right thing because they don't have a choice. That would not be praised. They could not worship God. So the final analysis there is that God keeps his word, but he keeps it in his time. 
That's verse 5 by way of review so far. God is made righteous because he, he makes a judgment. He makes a distinction. And that distinction is made based on the law that he has provided those people with, that they are either in harmony with it or they are out of step with it. Repentance then would include what? bringing, getting back into step uh, to be in agreement and in harmony. And there's where joy comes. There's where peace comes. And the reason that some people are not able to do this in their personal lives is because they're always learning. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. I'd like to read this whole context, but, you know, we we can't get too far. He's talking about men in verse in chapter three about difficult times that are coming. This is prior to the event of the book of Revelation. Prior to what's going on here in the book of Revelation. We're not going to deal with that aspect of what we're going to read here, but that's important to know. <clears throat> difficult times will come for and here's why in verse two. Men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. The prosperity cult. You need money. But what's the difference? Money is a tool to get a job done. To take care of yourself. To have something to give. To share. But the difference here is those who have their affections tied up in their money. He goes on, boastful, arrogant. Are you getting the picture these are not really positive terms? Revilers, disobedient to parents. None of us have ever known anybody to be like that. Ungrateful. No sense of ongoing appreciation for what's going on in other people and what they're doing. That's ungrateful, unholy, unloving, not able to be reconciled, irreconcilable, meaning that I can't get things solved. I would rather hold a grudge than to get it fixed. I would rather hold in my mind something against somebody so that I can always hold a grudge and have that against and as a weight against and, a, and as a separation between me and that person. Not reconcilable. Do you have anybody like that? Just can't get reconciled with them? Well, shape up. Or you're going to stay in this group. It's really not a good group to be a part of. But that's just one thing. 
we're, Christians are problem solvers. We resolve conflicts. Sometimes it takes time. You can't force it. But that's the aim. You know, I see those things, and it's so prevalent today. Everything in that verse there you see daily on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> people have ill will against God the things I'm reading from people are so upfront, so direct so incredibly aggressive towards God and towards anything to do with it. him his word his people goodness anything I figure if they feel that way about God, what chance do I have? But I understand your point. But they it's they they gotta come to they gotta they gotta be reconciled. I gotta be ready for when they are. Sure, you have to leave the door. You have to open the door. Sunday Sunday morning <clears throat> if I'm up to it and I'm going to deal with another element um, of the, one of the big issues of Calvinism. <clears throat> That's, it's not going to be very popular. So bring your tomatoes. We're going to deal with some of this stuff. But we are. This letter to Timothy is talking about the Jews in Jerusalem, isn't it? Yeah, and he's he's dealing with the conditions that are that we're reading right now. Yeah, yeah. They deserve it. <clears throat> They've got it coming. That's what the angel or that's what the messenger said. They yeah. deserve it. That's right. That's in verse six. We're going to almost get. To, we're, all, we're we're almost there. But let me get to where we were headed. We were, we're a few verses off yet. <clears throat> uh, malicious gossips. And that that really just means always put, putting a negative twist to something. Do you, you ever run across anybody that has always got a a negative twist? We have to be careful about that, and that takes self control. Brutal, verbally, physically, mentally, haters of good. Folks, this is not a group to be a part of. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, loves the lovers of pleasure. That may be your aestheticism. Whatever it is you find your pleasure in that controls and manipulates. Rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power, avoid such men as these. That's pretty simple. Avoid such men as these. For among them, among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, 
weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. The verse 7 is our punchline. Always learning. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I wanted to put that in context where God has a standard. You either fit the standard or you're out of step with that standard. And sometimes we just want to know and know and know and know, but we don't come to grips with the standard of what it is we're learning. So it's not applicable. We don't see the application. But God always sees the application. He has a standard. You're either in it or out of it, with it or against it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dried to God. Now, he has lots of room for people to change. He's always trying to bring people into the fold, not push them out. I've been in churches in the year, in years gone by where it was just obvious that some folks just wish that there were other folks who weren't there. You know? You should. And you're going to get your wish. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, it's a prevailing attitude. And you can see it. And it's it's very difficult to see that those people, for those people to see that they're out of step. Maybe what they have that's a big barrier to them and somebody, maybe that somebody is out of step too. But you know, we can become just out of we can become just as out of step as the person who we have not reconciled with. <clears throat> You judge these things, you made a distinction because you know what it is. Your knowledge, God's knowledge of his covenant, of his laws, he knows what they are. He knows whether or not you are in step with him. He knew whether or not these people were in step with him. And he says, you are righteous. You are righteous because you have made the distinction." Now, why in verse 6? Now, here's what the Jews did. They poured out the blood of saints and prophets. That's what they've done. And what you've done is you've given them blood to drink. And that's why we had our little thing on blood to or four weeks ago. You have given them blood to drink. They, what's the last three words? They deserve it. God has made judgment. He has made judgment because he has made a distinction between those who were attempting to do the right thing and those who were failing to do the right thing and were aggressively doing the wrong thing. 
They poured out the blood of saints and prophets. The Jews did that. Let's give a little bit of background. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Are we on the air tonight? Oh, okay. Okay. And I did get the recording going, but All right. In in Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> start with me with verse 37. <clears throat> now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee, this is verse 7, chapter 11, the book of Luke, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. You know, Jesus would just go anywhere. He really didn't care what anybody thought about. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Not because he was dirty, but there's a ceremony that you were expected to go through. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. Actually, he's saying, what difference does it make whether I have dirty hands or not when I eat? It's what's on the inside that counts. You foolish one in verse 40, did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. And it's interesting, the tie that he makes there, the myth, the way for them to cleanse themselves is how transparent their eye toward are, their eyes toward the needs of others are. Then that's an important issue. But woe to you, Pharisees, verse 42, for you pay tithe of men and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the lovers of God. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, because tithing was not a part of the law, tithing came in when? Prior to the law, so it was not done away with with the law. And then it was reinstated in Hebrews 7 as it was prior to the establishment of the law. tithing has always been a way of acknowledging God's supremacy. We need to keep that in mind. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats of the synagogues and in the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The visibility toward people. Verse 44, Woe to you, And if you go through and compare these woes with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, there's quite a comparable similarity. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And one of the lawyers in verse 45 said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us. Who? Well, then Jesus hung his head in shame. Is that what he did? No. Look at verse 46, but he said, 
Woe to you lawyers as well. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Now this is tying in with our lesson tonight. Right? Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. It's just like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. It's just like John the Apostle here in verse 6. So you are witnesses, verse 48, and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute. That's right where we are, right now, in the book of Revelation chapter 16. So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged to some future generation. And you're going to let me keep reading, right? This generation. No. All of what he's talking about is going to to be settled when? In this generation, the generation now living, Revelation is telling us about that event right in chapter 16. Future, then we're being lied to. We're being lied to by some. We are. Or at least misrepresented. <clears throat> You're too kind. I mean... All right. So, verse 50. So that the blood of all the prophets sheds as the foundation of the world may be charged when? Against this generation. In Revelation chapter 16, are we in that generation? Yes, we're in that generation. Which would be, if we were reading it that way, it would be this generation, not the one we're living in now, but this generation as it related to the people to whom he was writing. Now notice verse 51. For the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against whom? This generation yeah it's going to be us now no it's been done for 2,000 years woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge and the key of knowledge is not just learning but it's coming to an awareness of truth that has an impact on how you think, how you live, how you talk. And the fair, and uh, you yourselves did not enter that, and you hindered those who were entering. Those who were attempting to, you were, as Nolan was saying, the world is getting misled today by those supposedly who ought to be knowing. Whether they are intentionally lying, I think some of them are. I think, though, a lot of them are just not are just not aware. <clears throat> that doesn't make it any better, and it doesn't make it any righter, any more right. All right. So that gives us a little background. <clears throat> 
Let's go to one more over in in, in Matthew uh, Matthew uh, Matthew sixteen. <clears throat> He was kind of a unique way of thanking people for lunch, didn't he? <laughs> he did. That was unique. Yeah. He was invited out for lunch, and this is what he ended up. Down and said his peace. Said his peace. I wonder if they got indigestion. I'm sure they did. <laughs> well, they started it. They started it. All right. <clears throat> Jesus didn't fall for the trap. Look at Matthew sixteen twenty-seven. <clears throat> for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then reckon, repay every man according to his deeds. He goes right on, doesn't even take a breath. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Put all that together in that time frame. All of these take things taking place, and revelation just comes as crystal clear as it can be. This is what is happening to the generation to whom they were speaking. All of those items are fulfilled right here. <clears throat> now, let's move on. I, I need to finish this page today, and we, and we got a little bit late start, but we'll try to finish about on time. Uh, and verse 7. <clears throat> and by the way, when he brought judgment against these people who had done this to God's people, remember, I have a little note, I think, written into your text, that God never sent any prophets to Rome. What's that? I said, I saw that. I was waiting for you to comment on it. Yeah, he, he, never, sent, he never sent any prophets. No, no prophet was ever sent to Rome. I mean, to the Roman Empire. They did some preaching there, though. Oh, oh, yeah. Yep. But they heard it. Well, the ones who responded to it. We had the church at Rome. And the church there was, the book of Romans was written to it. Had Jews in that church problems there so they had problems in the church of Corinth as well all right <clears throat> now verse 7 <clears throat> so in verse 6 is what the Jews had done and they were being punished for what they had done when they had a standard and they knew better they knew that it had been they had been warned and if you go back and, you know, read the old text that we've read before in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, why God had spelled everything out real clear that if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do that. And God does what he says he's going to do. Now, verse 7. Now, I heard, I heard the altar saying. So what we've got so far, <clears throat> we've got the first angel, and the first angel goes into Palestine, into the Jewish nation, called the what? The earth. Then we have, in the second angel, goes to the Jews who are mixed in with the Gentiles in verse 3. Then in verse 4, we have the third angel who deals with the sources of their perversion. The Sanhedrin, 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And we're getting all, in, we're in an interlude now preparing us for the fourth angel. But notice what the altar says first. I heard the altar say. So now the altar is a person, right? Well, speaking. Because the Holy Spirit says and expressly says, therefore the Spirit is a person. Now we've got an altar speaking. So is a person too? What does it mean when something speaks? Does it mean that they're a person? It portrays its history through its essence. Yeah, before Andy painted this building, what was the message of this church to the community? You know, rotted boards, chip paint, plaster crack coming off. Couple through what two or three years ago, Andy went through and did all that repair work and fixed up all the bad wood and changed all the electrical exterior. He and Earl. But what is was that a message? Yeah, it says something to the community. Not always. Fairly evaluated, but nevertheless, everything has a message. When the Spirit says something, it's because it's what's coming out of the very nature of God. That's in First Timothy. The Spirit says expressly. Well, the Spirit is not a separate person. And here the altar says, see that in verse 7? The altar says, the altar doesn't become a, an altar and doesn't become a person because it speaks. Yeah, it's neuter and gender. And, oh, and good. And it's neuter and gender as well as the word spirit is always neuter and gender. I'm glad I don't think I'd check that out. So that's a good, good point. So here you have something that's in the neuter, and, and we would know that automatically, but it's good to confirm it. That the altar speaks, it has something to say. What does it say in verse 7? Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, first of all, he's righteous because he is judging. Now, what's added to that idea in verse 7? Now, his judgments are righteous. That means they're equal to the crime. They are equal to what had been promised. They are equal to the standard that God has set. He doesn't violate his own standard in his punishment for the crime having been committed. You walk across that street, I'll kill you. Is walking across the street a justifiable cause for death? So, you know, mama shouldn't say that to their kids. You shouldn't, you shouldn't offer uh, a punishment that's not equal to the crime committed. Isn't that a great lesson? It's hard to do. But his, his judgments are righteous, and righteous are your judgments. Why? Because they're equal to the crime committed. 
and these people had committed the crime of pouring out the blood of saints and prophets. So what else, how else could God be righteous in his judgment if he didn't bring the same judgment upon them as they had brought upon his men, prophets and saints? I think we get the point. So now that brings us then to the fourth angel in verse 8. Now you'll notice I'm skipping a lot of scriptures, folks, because we simply don't have time for that. But they're there if you want to read them. Uh, The one uh, after verse 7, Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation 14 and uh, Revelation chapter 18 and verse 20, that gives the the, the progression of what takes place in, in verses seven and eight, uh, six, uh, five and six. We've already been through that, see, but now we're getting to the consummation of that. So the time of waiting is past. The harvest is now being brought to completion. So the fourth angel now, he, he poured out his bowl upon the sun. And the sun in prophecy represents, remember, what about Jacob? The patriarchs. The patriarchs. Wasn't Jacob called the sun? Yes. And the stars were his sons. So it's one in a high position. Now he pours out his bowl upon those in a high position and was given to it to scorch men with fire. With fierce heat. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God. They blasphemed and spoke against what it was that made God up, the, the, the nature, the character, the vital statistics of God, they blasphemed. Who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. <clears throat> now fire is used as the symbol of both drought and war. Let's read a couple of passages to confirm that. Let's go to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 7 and verses 4 and 5. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Then thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, and I will spare them no longer. In other words, he had a what? He had a standard. Isn't that what a plumb line does? Put a weight, hang it. That's a, that's a standard. That's what we've been talking about tonight. God uses a standard. Judges people according to the standard. Do you measure up? I read more than I was supposed to there, but that's also good. 
All right, let's go to Joel Amos. Joel, uh, let's go to the book of Joel. <clears throat> Joel chapter 1. Verse 17. <clears throat> Joel chapter 1, verse 17. The seeds shrivel under their clods, the storehouses are desolate, the barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. It doesn't mean that every animal died because it, it says they're still suffering. But it's speaking prophetically to implant a vision to make an implant in your mind of the idea of what's going on and the devastation. Verse 20, Even the beasts of the field pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, only to confirm that the language in Revelation is not strange to these people who understood the Jewish language. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. A fire consumes before them, and, be, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. See, that's prophetic language. We have that same kind of language brought down here into the book of uh, Revelation in chapter 16, describing the condition here in this fourth of the seven last bowls, the final judgment of God, bringing about the total destruction of Jerusalem to where Babylon will be fallen later on in here very soon. But they did not repent. Now, <clears throat> every time God brings a judgment, he doesn't bring it to destroy. His first purpose, and motivation is to bring people through pain to bring them to repentance. That may be a principle that could be applicable today, that nations who violate basic law, natural law, suffer the consequences of that broken law. If you eat improper foods or foods that are not to your blood type, you'll pay the price eventually. It's just common law, natural law, and the effect of natural law. If you don't sharpen your tools and you have to work with dual, dull tools, you have to work harder. Natural law. On and on you can go. So there are certain principles that are going to cause certain results if they're broken. Here it is specifically a fulfillment of prophecy, and even though it may be fulfilled again and again, it's not the fulfillment of prophecy if we were to see the same thing today. It is simply the consequence of having broken natural law. And people want to make it prophetic. They want to make what's going on today something to do with prophecy. 
how America is involved, how the world is involved. There are things that are pending that can be disastrous to the human race. But, folks, it's not the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the what? It's the consequences of having broken natural law. And when you do, you pay the price. You fall if, if when I saw Greg out here a couple weeks ago out on the roof, repairing the roof, if he had slipped and fallen and fell to the ground and broke his other hand, that's not a fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of the consequences of having broken the natural law of gravity. Nobody's above that. We need to make that distinction. Everything that happens doesn't have to be the result of prophecy. It isn't the result of prophecy. All prophecy is fulfilled that is in the Bible is fulfilled by the time we get to the end of this book. There is nothing, in my opinion, there is nothing left to be fulfilled. There are many things that go on in the world today that may bring about good things and may bring about a standard that makes it better for the church to function. But that's not the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of what? Natural law. It's as simple as, as, as truth always agreeing with truth. Yeah. Whether it's, it's, it's made parallel, and that's that not necessarily connected. Or, yeah. But it's just, that's what happens when something, when this happens, this happens afterwards. Just a lot, cause and effect. Cause and effect. Okay. So, and these folks did not, I had planned to do a little um, lesson on repentance tonight. Uh, to broaden our understanding, but we don't have time for that. And so we'll begin with uh, the next lesson, lesson six, or yeah, lesson six should begin with verse nine. I might make time to break down the word. Can you go, can we just go to that word repent here in verse eight in the Greek? <clears throat> and then we'll close. All right, see see the word up there uh, for repent. That first word is the word mata. Repentance is 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 mata. That's a preposition, and the preposition, depending on whether it's in the genitive, and is that is that in the genitive? Uh, no. No, it's in the uh, it's in the. Uh, Um, it is with if it's with the genitive it means what and if it's with the accusative it means what okay but I'm just looking at the word metal uh, is a preposition, and you've got it right there. And it means in the genitive, that means what? Association, or in the accusative case, succession. Um, I don't have my uh, little Greek thing with me, 
um, <clears throat> little chart that we got in Greek class. But you have to know whether this word repented, whether that word meta, whether the word is in the accusative or whether it's in the the verb um, or the the noun that it goes with is either in the accusative or in the dative or in the nominative or the accusative um, or the genitive. You have, you have to know that to know what definition uh, for meta is there. But now we go to the, the the latter part of that word, and that there that would you would go to the word mind. And you oh we don't have bullets real quick. Okay, there it is, right out the bottom, the very bottom of the page. Um, yeah, that one right there. It's the intellect, the perception the intellect, the disposition, and it really, this word, um, nu, omicron, epsilon, omega, uh, when it's the word repentance, it simply means the faculty of consciousness. So the preposition is what gives to that word its direction. And when all of these books say that it means a change of mind, that's true, but that's really not what the word means. <clears throat> you think about that, yeah. and we'll discuss it further next week. The Calvinists have really made this thing uh, perverted by making that it uh, by teaching that it always means a change of mind, and then we come along in the Restoration movement and we say, "Yeah, that's right. It means a change of mind, but creating a change of." lifestyle, and that's all true, but that's not what the word means. We're going to deal with that just a little bit more last week. They did not repent so as to give him the glory. And one of the things that kept them from repenting was they didn't want to have God recognized in this judgment as being from him. If they had repented, if they had brought themselves into step with God, it would have acknowledged that God is right in his judgment. Father, we thank you for these moments tonight in your word, always so precious, always so uplifting. We are so pleased that we have this as a reference to see the fulfillment of the prophecy and that we can rely on our word that it is always true, and that it can take and make our focus then beyond prophecy and into the purpose of the church, and that is to grow it universally. In Jesus' name, amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.